0: Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of
1: the ABA Law Student Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm John Weber, the Division Delegate for Communications, Publications, and Outreach of the ABA's Law Student Division. I'm a 3L at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law in Kentucky. Our show today is sponsored by the American Bar Association Law Student Division. In this monthly podcast, we cover topics that are of interest to you, law students and recent graduates. We'll be talking about a variety of issues from finals to the bar exam and everything in between. We hope this show is a trusted resource for you and for all of our listeners. Today, we will be talking with Professor Carl Hernandez from the BYU Law School and from the BYU's Student-Represented Immigration Clinic. How are you, Professor?
2: Oh, thank you, John. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to chat with you about this immigration clinic that we have recently opened here in Provo, Utah, as part of the BYU Law School.
1: Well, and Professor, we here at the Law Student Division are excited to learn about it as well, not only to see what our fellow uh, law student colleagues are doing across the country, but also because it's been an area of interest for the division leadership as we've pushed various policies and reforms related to immigration law. So it's timely, and and we appreciate uh, your expertise and your work on the ground. So if we could just get started, tell me a little bit about you, uh, about your school, about your students, and then we'll get a little more specifically to the clinic.
2: Happy to do that. Uh, I'm from the Central Valley of California. My grandparents are Mexican immigrants, and they came to the Central Valley of California to work in the fields there. I was raised as a migrant farm worker where we picked olives and oranges and apples and other types of of fruit and and nuts in the Central Valley. And so I have a really deep connection and interest in helping those who are immigrants into this country to achieve their goals and to prosper. In fact, I, I was raised in an area where John Uh, Steinbeck wrote The Grapes of Wrath. And so it's uh, just a place where uh, many immigrants have have come to raise their families and where we've uh, been able to make strong connections with the communities which we've uh, been associated.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. So Professor Hernandez, can you tell us what classes you teach and how your expertise and interest in the law have overlapped with this clinic?
2: Yes, I I teach a civil rights litigation course, a Section 1983 course that allows students to develop litigation skills related to civil rights actions. I also teach a fundamental lawyering skills class that teaches students uh, how to develop their fact investigation, their negotiation, and their mediation skills. And then I run several of our clinics here at the law school and oversee their operation. So we're quite busy here, but uh, you know most of those courses that I teach uh, relate to experiences I had uh, as a practitioner and uh, the clinic experiences, however, really relate to my upbringing and my passion for uh, bringing uh, legal services to the poor and the needy and uh, the marginalized communities in our society. Having been raised as a migrant farm worker and and, and seeing some levels of injustice uh, throughout my life, I I really have a passion for helping students to engage in communities where they'll see uh, maybe and experience things that they, they've not experienced in their lives. Their, their perspectives will change. And my hope is that uh, the private bar, as well as the public bar, will recognize this great need. And, and so we're sending students then out into our communities that have had these experience serving these marginalized communities and and want to re-engage at some point in their careers, hopefully right from the beginning of their careers, and and keep this as a part of their professional identity, that they're willing to give some of their time and their talents to assisting those that really uh, are needy in our communities.
1: And when you say that you've experienced some of these marginalized groups and the struggles that they face, Can you give us an example, put a face or a story to what your clinic really does?
2: Okay, I'll tell you a story about my first bicycle. When I was a young child, uh, we had no bicycles. And my grandfather uh, saw us one day running up and down the street to try to catch a quick ride uh, from a friend that happened to be fortunate to have a bicycle. And so when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, my grandfather brought our first bike home and I was so excited uh, about getting this bicycle. So we didn't have a telephone at that time. And my uh, mom told us, you know, you need to, you thank your grandfather. Now you need to go down to the payphone, uh, which again is another obsolete uh, thing in our society today. And, uh, put a dime in and call your grandmother and let her know that you're grateful for this bicycle. So we got to the phone booth and uh, we're waiting for what seemed to me like forever is probably half an hour. And there was a lady in the phone booth that had uh, basically kept us there because as soon as the police officer pulled up in his cruiser to the phone booth, she stepped out and said, that's my son's bicycle. Uh, It was uh, stolen six months ago. And so the police officer loaded the bicycle in the trunk, put my brother and me into the police cruiser, which is the first time I'd ever experienced uh, that kind of uh, a contact with the police. Uh, and so they drove us home and brought the bicycle up to the front porch, knocked on the door, asked my mom to produce a receipt for the bicycle. Well, of course, my mom couldn't produce any receipt. And so she had to go over to the neighbor's house and call my grandfather to come over and to produce proof of where he had gotten this bicycle. And so my grandfather produced a receipt where he had purchased this bicycle at a local police auction uh, where, uh, you know, the, uh, the state of the law at that time was that if you purchased a bicycle like this, then it was a lawful purchase and you became the owner of the bicycle. But my grandfather, he taught me a couple of lessons. Number one is that he had great deference to the authority of the police officer. And number two, he could see that this woman was distraught about this bicycle. So uh, both the officer and my grandfather agreed to give the bicycle back. So I owned my first bicycle for about an hour at most, and so it was, of course, devastating to me. Well, I came back to represent uh, the city uh, where this all occurred, and had an opportunity to look at the law and, and research and, and change some of the laws that related to these exact types of situations. So, you know, for me, that was in my first experience with the law. I viewed this, uh, use of authority by the police officer, uh, where he should have known the law, right? And, and understood that, you know, it was a lawful purchase. But I also learned a lesson from my grandfather who is a humble immigrant who taught me that there are higher laws that relate to, uh, these sorts of situations and that, you know, sometimes what the law requires is, is light years, uh, below what we might require morally. So, you know, that was one of my first experiences. I have several other experiences with uh, government and authority and that sort of thing that uh, helped me to recognize and realize that we need people out that are uh, ensuring that uh, people aren't oppressed uh, by the laws or by their application uh, by uh, government agents. And uh, so, you know, that's where I've developed some of my passion.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. So tell me a little bit about Uh, What caused you to form the clinic? I hear your background lends itself particularly well to this. It's an area of interest and expertise. But could you talk a little bit about areas of law that you've focused on? And then again, what caused you to uh, form this clinic? How did the need present itself?
2: Right. I appreciate the opportunity that we have to work with immigrants in this community. Utah really has a strong immigrant population. The statistics that I've seen, uh, particularly from the American Immigration Council, tell us that one in 12 residents in the state of Utah are immigrants. And so we do have a really strong immigrant population base. We have about 9,000 uh, DACA recipients here in the state, and many of them are attending our great universities. We have a strong educational support for uh, immigrants in this state. And so we have both a strong uh, general immigrant population, but we also have a, a strong student immigrant population. And so we were approached by the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who happens to be our sponsoring institution, to see if we'd be interested in forming an immigrant and refugee clinic that would serve this large population. We have about 1,200 refugees that are resettling here in the state every year, and we've got about 60,000 refugees that currently call uh, the state of Utah home. So, we have that strong base of individuals who come from refugee backgrounds. But we also have a really, really strong population of students here at BYU that speak a second language. The university itself has a student body that about 65% of them speak a second language. I think our law student population is probably even higher than that, probably approaching 75% of our student body speak, you know, a second language. And so it makes it uh, possible that we can bring these students into these clinics and use their language skills and their lawyering skills that they're acquiring here in the law school to serve this immigrant population. Well,
1: Je parlais français un peu, un petit peu. I don't speak Spanish, and uh, it's been a while well, That was since excellent.
2: I, <laughs> I actually understood what you said.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't speak Spanish, though, and I, I noticed that every single one of your students in the clinic speak Spanish. Are there opportunities for uh, that other 25% that are not fluent in a second language?
2: Yes, there are many opportunities because this particular clinic, though, we've really focused on the immigrant population through our connection with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have also opened the clinic up to other marginalized populations in our community, including those who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, uh, the homeless, and others who uh, are interested in accessing legal services for the problems and the issues that uh, they may have uh, as they are living here in this in this particular area of the country. So those students would, would be able to address other language needs, uh, those that speak English as their first language. And we've had other clients that have come in that have other language needs like Portuguese and such. So we are continuing to serve populations uh, beyond the Spanish-speaking population in this area.
1: Professor Hernandez, I know that your clinic is a little bit different than maybe some of the clinics that other law students across the country are familiar with in that, one, it's completely student-led. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And then, two... It took a lobbying effort for your law school community to go in front of, as I understand it, the state legislators and maybe even Supreme Court in getting some rules changes. Can you tell us a little bit about that lobbying effort that you all undertook to get this clinic started?
2: Happy to. So we have several different types of clinics here at the law school. And one of the clinics that we have is a government practice or government representation clinic. And our students took on the task of analyzing and doing a comparative analysis of the law student practice rules uh, in the United States for all 50 states. And what we found is that Utah's law student practice rule was the most restrictive law student practice rule in the country which was surprising to us and which led us to recognize that our students did not have practice opportunities as some of their colleagues at other law schools in the country. And so that group took that 50-state survey, looked at some of the law student practice rules that we thought might be more beneficial for our community here and uh, went through and, and made changes. For example, before the changes uh, were made to the uh, present uh, law student practice rule, the state of Utah required a stipulation of all parties for a student to even participate in any aspect of representation of a client, which none of the other uh, states had this type of onerous requirement uh, for their law students. And so the students took on the task of redrafting the rule and making uh, presentations and in preparing us to make a series of presentations before the Utah State Bar Commission and then ultimately to the Utah Supreme Court which approved uh, changes to the law student practice rule in January of 2016. So it was another student-led initiative and group of students that actually worked on revising the entire law student practice rule for the state of Utah, helping to present before the Utah State Bar Commission and also the Utah Supreme Court. So it really was a student-led initiative that got us going in the direction of opening more opportunities for students to practice in the state of Utah, but also uh, to provide access to justice for many of our marginalized uh, citizens here in the state of Utah.
1: Did you receive any resistance to wanting to start the clinic?
2: Not really. We didn't uh, receive uh, much resistance at all. In in fact, because we were working closely with our sponsoring institution, I think that opened some doors for us. But because the justices for the Utah Supreme Court recognize that access to justice in this country and access to the legal system and legal services – is a serious and significant problem they viewed these students as providing a great opportunity to the citizens of the state of Utah to access these services. Uh, You know like your students there at your law school I think uh, most are committed right to uh, providing services to the needy and, and to those that don't have access to justice And so, we actually had uh, tremendous support from our sponsoring institution, from our university, the main campus, as well as the Utah State Bar, and the the highest court in the state. Uh, Each of those groups uh, provided significant input and substantial support for what we're doing in this clinic.
1: You mentioned that the current generation of law students is exceptionally committed to social justice. I certainly uh, notice that as well, and and that's no secret. Do you notice any difference between this generation and previous generations, perhaps, that you taught in their commitment to social justice?
2: I do see a difference. I, I believe that many of the students that are coming to law school today recognize that there's questions about the value of legal education uh, I think we're all aware of that, that there are many in our society today that uh, feel that uh, the legal education may not be a good investment. So we've seen a downturn, right, in applications to law school. We've seen a downturn in the number of, of students that are, are going uh, to law schools. But what we also see is that there is a significant commitment to social change coming from our students. And we view the law degree as a leadership degree, one which will help our students to go out into society to uh, not only become great advocates for their clients, but also to engage in uh, leadership in all segments of our community, in the private sector, in the nonprofit sector, and in government. I think there are a number of articles out there nowadays that help us to understand how uh, lawyers can help to – create substantial change in in society that benefits those uh, constituents that they serve. And I've seen an increase in the number of students that are interested, for example, in our immigration courses. Uh, Our courses are usually full. Our clinic is full. We've got uh, people on the waiting list that want to engage in serving the poor and, like I've mentioned previously, other marginalized communities in our uh, area here. And I I don't doubt that they will go out and uh, have their perspective change because of this clinic. and have a great desire to provide further pro bono services to marginalized communities.
1: Of course, my fellow law students would not be happy with me if I didn't also say that we also want jobs. Of course, we are committed to social justice, but especially I'm a third-year law student and I'm starting to feel the crossroads that is law school graduation and, and what comes next. Do you think this clinic makes law students that participate more marketable?
2: Absolutely. The students in this clinic are taking clients from start to finish, so they will conduct an initial fact investigation by doing an interview, and they will continue to gather documents and information that's necessary to uh, analyze uh, what types of solutions they can Provide to their client through the counseling process. They're also doing the drafting petitions and other documents and creating letters and uh, demand letters and other types of legal documents and following the process all the way through to completion. And so, you know, if you've got a student that's able to demonstrate that they can take a client from an interviewing and counseling, other fact investigation process all the way through full representation, then I believe that will help them to demonstrate to prospective employers a couple of things. Number one, that they're able to exercise some of the most important and what I would call fundamental lowering skills that are required of someone in the profession, and number two, that they're willing to serve populations that I think would be of interest to those that are both working in the private sector as well as the government sector. They're providing these services to these uh, populations and and therefore uh, would be able to provide uh, meaningful Representation, whether uh, from a pro bono standpoint or otherwise, once they enter into these firms and these other agencies. So it shows a commitment to one actual practice and number two, a commitment to pro bono service. And so I think that uh, the uh, experience that students get from start to finish gives them a real-life experience dealing with real human beings that you just don't really get from a pure case analysis uh, and courses that, uh, of course, are important to the legal education. But this gives a student some additional, uh, I think, demonstration opportunities of uh, how they uh, use their professional lawyering skills in a real-life setting.
1: I'm curious how this compares to your law school experience. What would you, as a law student, think about these opportunities and and these changes, perhaps, since you were in law school, since I understand that you, you went to school at BYU as well?
2: That's right. I would have said hallelujah had they provided us these types of experiences when I was in law school, I don't recall having any type of live client full representation opportunity when I was in law school. In fact, I don't recall having any types of clinics at the time I was going to law school I think we had internships and and I did serve uh, internships during the summer and uh, as a research assistant and a teaching assistant during my uh, law school experience, but I didn't have a live client representation clinic opportunity. So I think my recollection of coming out of law school and going into the actual practice of law was the partner coming into my office and laying a, a green file on my desk which kind of dates me right uh so he put a file on my desk and says you're going to be in court on Tuesday. And so I had never uh, had a actual trial experience, I had never had an, a, any sort of appearance before a real court, nor had I dealt with a real client before that assignment was given to me. So you can imagine that a student that's already had the opportunity to represent clients in in the courtroom and before immigration services before uh, other boards and commissions would have a significant advantage over others that haven't had that opportunity i mean they're able to hit the ground running when they are going into the actual practice of law so i i think that i would have just been overjoyed by having uh, the similar experience while i was a law student
1: I don't think that dates you. I've I've certainly heard about uh, files printed on paper uh, rather than the computer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so tell me, does this satisfy a requirement for the law school? Do you have an experiential learning requirement to graduate? And if so, does this relate to that third-year practice rule under the Utah Supreme Court's rules?
2: The only requirement that we have is the standard ABA requirement that students take at least six credit hours of professional skills type courses during their law school experience which can include as you know simulation courses uh, can include externships and uh, these types of clinics that we've been talking about so there's really no actual requirement although I've heard students already in this first year of the law clinic say that we ought to make the experience mandatory for all students. They felt so strongly about the impressions that they've had from meeting with their clients, how their views have been changed because of the client interaction, how exciting it is to have a client come in and and express gratitude uh, for the work that's been done on their behalf And so the service that these students are providing through this clinic, I think, goes well beyond the assimilation course or the externship that a student might have, where they they don't have that full range of representation that's available in a clinic. Not saying that the other experience aren't good. I think they're valuable as well, but this experience in a clinic provide students with, a, I think, a holistic professional skills experience that uh, will prepare them well for a life of service in the law beyond their own practices.
1: How do you maintain a clinic like this that is student-led, and so naturally there might be an ebb and flow as some students uh, are more interested, and then they graduate and you get new students in? How do you project this clinic out into the future?
2: Excellent question. It's one that uh, the faculty asked when we open the clinic. It's one that's been asked by our partners in the community, one that students ask, how are we going to transition? We're in that process now for petitions. For example, we've got asylum cases that have been prepared by these students that were about ready to file. And, and certainly those students, though they prepared the application through completion, they're not going to be able to become part of the follow-up to uh, those cases, if any, uh, because they will have moved on right into the uh, many last semester of law school or or some that uh, will just move on to their third year of law school. And so the contingencies we have there is we've already got a full class for next semester, and we're going to start to transition these cases to other students who will uh, be in the class next semester, and and then we'll maintain uh this clinic throughout the summer, and students will be able to serve as research assistants and as externs in the clinic as well. So it will be a year-round clinic where we have complete transition of cases from one semester to another and from uh, the semester throughout the summer. And so there's a continual representation of these of these clients. And clients realize that at the beginning because our engagement letter helps them to understand that there will be a transition of, of student representatives uh, during the semesters uh, and so the clients are, are fully aware of this and I think they're just grateful for the help that they received. So, you, you know, we were able to give them some level of comfort that they'll continue to receive the service they need from the clinic.
1: In thinking of the future, how do you adapt to the ever-changing nature of immigration law and policy, especially as it's become even more charged under the Trump administration with both rhetoric and policy?
2: Right. I think education is so important uh, for our community. I think it's important for us to uh, remain engaged with our partners, uh, those that are engaged in providing immigrant services and making sure that we're educating our community about potential changes in policies, potential opportunities uh, to receive change of status. Uh, in their uh, current immigrant uh, situations. So I think education is is really important. And because BYU Law School is such a well-known institution, not just locally but really internationally, I think our opportunities to educate our constituents and those that are likely to receive our services is really critical and important. So as we partner with uh, our sponsoring institution, and other members of our community, both here and nationally, we will be able to ensure that uh, we're on top of the uh, changes of both policy and legally uh, to provide uh, this information to our constituents, those that we're serving. And then we'll uh, follow through with making sure that uh, those that are in our clinics. Those students are uh, well-trained to address those issues. You know, I I did want to add one thing. I I really believe that the law students that we're training in, in this generation are exceptional. And I think we need to have more confidence in their abilities to perform services that are really really uh, needed in our society today. Uh, these legal services that students are able to provide are filling I think a significant gap uh, that uh, is is un uh, addressed in in our uh, nation today and so I'm really grateful that we have students that are both interested and capable in uh, providing uh, these types of of services. So I think we we need to recognize that we've just got a really qualified uh, group of of students that are in law schools today at all law schools uh, throughout the country and mobilizing uh, these students to uh, provide these continuing services to keep up to date with policies and and with changes in the law uh, will be of great benefit to uh, those that we intend to serve. Well,
1: on behalf of law students across the country, we thank you for those kind words. <laughs> You're welcome. I wonder about expanding your impact and uh, whether it's something that you're doing now or may have just thought of in the future. Do you plan on working with other schools or communities to expand programs like this onto other campuses, get the word out, uh, share whatever good work it is that you're doing? Again, just to increase your impact so that it's more than just one clinic on one campus.
2: Yes, we intend to take this uh, particular clinic that we've developed and we we will uh, continue to work with other schools on campus to provide an interdisciplinary approach to solving problems. So what we plan to do is to have other students that are in graduate school here and perhaps some undergraduate students that uh, are able to serve with us in this clinic and provide services that go well beyond the uh, legal issue that a client might have. As you know, in your experience, when you're looking at a particular problem, when a client has a legal issue, it may indicate that the client has some underlying problems or issues that need to be addressed to be able to fully solve the problems and maybe some of the obstacles the client is facing in having a level of prosperity that they'd like to reach. So uh, as you look at those underlying issues and help to solve those problems, then you will enable the client to be able to uh, accomplish and reach some of the goals they might have because you've removed some of those obstacles. So for example, we've already seen clients that come in that have financial issues. They may have uh, issues with uh, receiving and accessing public services. They may have need for counseling services. And so we hope to bring to bear uh, more services from some, other, uh, some many other uh, students that are in graduate programs and undergraduate programs here on campus. So we'll create a template like this, and uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the LDS Church, has employment and uh, self-reliance service uh, centers all around the country as well as in many parts of the world so we'd like to partner with other law schools and uh with both here in this country and and uh, across the world if possible and apply this template to get law students and other professionals engaged and involved in providing services uh legal services and other services that will help these individuals whom we hope to serve to heal right we believe that the that the lawyer should be a healer that he or she should uh, be able to convene uh, services using using their leadership skills and bring to bear opportunities for uh, these clients to receive services beyond the legal service, which is of course critical for what we do here at the law school, but to also uh, assist uh, with bringing uh, other uh, types of needs to our clients.
1: That is really exciting, Professor, and I, I am... Look forward to see what the future holds for this clinic, both at BYU uh, and throughout the country, and, and as you said, perhaps the world. Um, allow me to, to also plug the ABA Before the Bar blog as a means to promote and begin to export this Uh, this idea. It's open for you and other authors who would like to share what they're doing on their campuses. We also highlight schools and students doing good work in our magazine, The Student Lawyer. Uh, Those are our our publications in addition to this podcast, Uh, and again would, would offer those to you if you'd like to use them. But how can people get involved if they are interested in taking you up on exporting this to other campuses? What's their next
2: step? So their next step is to contact me here at the law school. I can be reached at uh, hernandezc@law.byu.edu. Send me an email. Tell me that uh, you're interested in forming a collaboration with uh, us here at the law school. and. Uh, we have you know again our sponsoring institution that I'm sure would be very interested in forming collaborations for uh, students and others at other law schools here in the country. Uh, one of the great benefits that we have uh, for for this clinic is that many of our uh, colleagues across the nation can attest to this that it can be very expensive to run a clinic. But when you have a partner like we do uh, that provides the uh, facilities where we meet, our students have individual offices where they meet with their clients uh, on a weekly basis, so we have a facility and tremendous support from our sponsoring institution. And I'm sure that uh, they'd be willing to look at other collaborations uh, across the nation here that uh, would uh, benefit both law students and, and members of, of our community that need uh, access to legal services.
1: Excellent. And as a student at a public school, our sponsoring entity uh, may not be quite as generous. But could you tell us one more time, um, perhaps slowly, how they can reach you at your email address?
2: Yes. That's Hernandez C, H E R N A N D E Z C, at law.byu.edu.
1: Wonderful. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the way that you're investing in both students and the clients at this clinic and inspiring those of us listening to get involved in whatever way we can as well.
2: John, it's been a pleasure for me to share some time with you. I wish you the very best going into the future as you enter the profession. I'm sure you'll be a a great representative and a great ambassador for your law school.
1: Thanks again to Professor Carl Hernandez from the BYU Law School for joining us on this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of our podcast. And we would like to encourage you to subscribe to the ABA Law Student Podcast on Apple Podcasts and to take a moment to rate and review us as well. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at A-B-A-L-S-D using the hashtag Law Student Podcast. We want to hear what's on your mind. I'm John Weber, and we want to thank you for listening to the ABA Law Student Podcast. Stay tuned. Connect with us. Let us know what you're doing to make a difference on your campus and in your community. Until next time, podcasters.
0: If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBard.org forward slash lawstudent.